God's people said, oh, God, I, I pray you enjoyed hearing your people sing as much as I did. Oh, Father, it is our story. It's our song. Rescued, redeemed, forgiven, set free. Jesus, how amazing that you make it possible for us to declare blessed assurance. Whatever's going on in our lives, God, whatever's happening, and you know each person in this room, no matter what's going on, Jesus, you are enough for us. Today, as we look at your word, I pray that you would overwhelm us with a sense of that, maybe in ways we've never thought of before. May we leave this place different because we've encountered Almighty God and because you've spoken into our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated as the children are released. Thank you, worship team. Oof. And that means you all, since you all were part of the worship team this morning. We're in Acts chapter 25 and 26, and uh, we're almost, almost finished with Acts. Isn't that something? I have a note sheet here somewhere. There we go. Oh, there it is. Okay. Boy, that floor gets farther away, doesn't it? Oh, man, I tell you. <laughs> uh, usually try to keep those groans inside. Okay, so we've got uh, Christmas coming up, and we're going to step out of um, Acts just for four weeks as we look at Christmas and the joy of all that is. And so we've got an invite card for you. It's there in your bulletin. There's more at the Welcome Center. We'd like to ask you to use them to invite people to come. Whatever the story of your life, Christmas celebrates God inviting you into his story. And uh, so we're looking at the invitation, and we'll be looking at the invitation into hope, peace, joy, and love as we light the candles of Advent, and what does that mean for each one of us. And then there's cards, too, to invite people to the concert if you'd like to come be a part of that. The last weekend of January... We started in this amazing book of Acts, and um, at the beginning of the year, as uh, end of last year, actually, as I prayed over, Lord, where would you like us to go, and really felt like for us to understand what does it mean to know Christ and make him known, and where better to go to find that than God's Word, and in Acts is where they first started doing that, and so <clears throat> my prayer is that as we've gone through this this year, um, at the different voices who've opened God's word for you, that you found yourself perhaps wrestling a little bit more with what does it mean for us as a community, because that's huge in the book of Acts, to be on, on the mission God has for us, but also individually, as we do this together, how, how can each one of us be on the mission that God has for us as we join together then on the mission he has for us together? So, as we wind down, we're in Acts 25 and 26 today. Before we jump in there, I'd like to ask you if you can remember what was going on in your life two years ago, Thanksgiving. 
So we're at Thanksgiving. Holidays are kind of those moments you remember. So do you remember Thanksgiving two years ago? Remember what you were doing? Where you went? Whose house you were in? Meal that you had? Was it burned? (laughs) Or was it just right? Two years ago. Now think a little bit of all that you've done in those two years since then. Stop and think about all the different things that have happened, all the different things that have come into your life in those last two years. For me, I gained a son-in-law. I gained a, a granddaughter. I gained a grandson. I have another grandchild on the way. All in two years, it's like, wow, that's like crazy. And that's just one part of my life. As I look around and I think of some of the things that have come into your lives in the last two years, just the things that I've known about. Now imagine being Paul. Because as we step into chapter 25, two years have passed since the end of chapter 24. So the passage that Pastor Tim opened for us last week in that last verse of that chapter, there's two years that goes by. And imagine you're Paul... And those two years have been spent in prison. So you haven't been able to experience any of the things you've experienced. You've been in prison. Two years ago at Thanksgiving dinner, someone came in and grabbed you and said, you didn't do a good enough job with the turkey. No, I'm kidding. They said, you're claiming to know Jesus, aren't you? So we're going to take you and we're going to put you in chains because you're declaring that you know Jesus. And so for two years, you've been in prison. How would you be responding to those chains that you're held in? And as you think back over your last two years, maybe there's things that have come into your life. And maybe those are chains that have been brought into your life. How have you responded to those? Today we'll see how Paul responded, and I think as we do, we're going to see how we can respond to those things that have come into our lives. There's a wonderful outline in your bulletin. I won't be following that today. Uh, Thanksgiving week is short, and so I had to get the outline in on Tuesday morning, and um, As I continued to study the passage, the Lord led me a different direction. And so that outline is a wonderful outline. The questions are great. And someday, Lord willing, um, if need be, I'll preach that sermon. But today we're going to do something different. And so there won't be your usual stuff on the screens and, you know, can we rough it? There's Bibles. They're hardcover and they're in the seats in front of you there if you want to pull those out or the U version on your phone, uh, go to the events tab and you'll be able to follow along as well. Um, yeah. Chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 1. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Two years have gone by. Two 
years have gone by and the Jews are still mad and still holding something against Paul. Can you imagine? Now, you thought about two years ago, right? Was there someone you were upset with two years ago? Are you still upset with them? If you are, there's an issue that you need to work out, right? Okay. But here's these Jewish people and and these leaders who are still very much concerned with what's going on with Paul, and they still want him put to death for what he's been teaching and what he's been believing. Now, I don't know. I stepped out from behind the pulpit because this is speculation, biblical imagination, if you will. We don't have record of any letters that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned in Caesarea. See, Paul was a writer. Actually, he was a speaker. He used someone else to write for him. He struggled with writing, one of the letters tells us. I don't know why I just said that, but oh, there we go. Okay, It's an interesting piece of information, isn't it? So as you look at that, Paul, as he was put in prison here in Caesarea, he was allowed access to his friends. His friends were able to come in and be with him. And I wonder if he wasn't writing some letters. See, the thing is, we remember from Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 that that Paul was absolutely certain that his mission was to testify to the gospel of God's grace wherever he went and whatever he did. So as he was in prison, as we find out later when he's in prison in Rome, he's writing letters, he's encouraging people, he's declaring. The whole palace guard comes to an understanding of who Jesus is because Paul is in chains. So I can imagine that while he's there in prison in Caesarea, he's writing letters, and he's encouraging people, and he's telling them what the gospel is, and what grace means, and who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah who's come. And and perhaps some of these letters are getting back to Jerusalem, and the leaders are getting wind of this, and it's like, we've got to put an end to this. And so two years later... Here comes this inexperienced governor. Felix was very experienced. And Felix was actually taken out of leadership because there was a war that came to Caesarea. And Felix made some really poor decisions that caused for the death of a lot of people. So it's not like Felix was like, I think I'll retire. It was like Felix was said, he had to go, which didn't turn out well for him. But Festus steps in, and Festus is inexperienced. So the Jewish leaders are thinking, fresh fresh meat. Let's go. Festus answered, Paul's being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press their charges against him there. Chapter 25, verse 6. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day, the court he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. So imagine that he comes to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is really an interesting place. I've actually been there myself. I was there the first time 11 years ago, and then I was there just this year. And so the place hasn't changed. (laughs) If you know what I mean. And... And so down below, you see the Hippodrome, okay? So you remember in Ben-Hur with a chariot scene, okay, that giant Hippodrome? Caesarea had a Hippodrome like this, and, and, and it was a huge city. It was, a, it was Herod the Great had built this city, 
And, and Herod the Great spared no expense when it came to, build, to building capital cities for himself. And this particular city, Caesarea, it's called Caesarea Maritime to separate it from Caesarea Philippi, which is up in the northern part of Israel. But Caesarea Maritime, or Caesarea here, was one of his capital cities, and it was the one that he built because Joppa wouldn't let them use their, his, their port. So he went and built his, his own port. So he actually built walls out into the Mediterranean Sea so that it would be a seaport for himself. And then he built a palace that extended out into the Mediterranean Sea and, and closed some of it in so he'd have swimming pool and things like that. So, I mean, this city... As you look at it, it had an amphitheater, it had a, it had a coliseum, it had, it had everything. There were 5,000 soldiers that were assigned there. It was an amazingly powerful and beautiful city. And so the place where I'm kneeling in this picture is actually the place where, where Paul is going to stand before King Agrippa, and more than likely where he stood before, before Festus. It's in this palace that he would stand before um, and make his, make his defense. And so he's brought in, and you can imagine he's brought into this room, and all the Jewish people surround him. And they begin bringing accusations against him, none of which are true. And so Paul makes his defense. Verse 8 says, I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. So he's saying, I haven't done anything wrong. Not against the Jewish law, the temple, or Caesar. Those were the three accusations that were being made. That he had not kept the law or had not observed the customs. That he had not uh, subscribed to to the sacredness of the temple and that he had actually um, made accusations against Caesar. So Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, because Festus knows that Felix ended up not so good because of what happened with the Jewish people in the war, and so he realizes he has to have peace here because he's over Jerusalem, and if there's not peace among the Jewish leaders, it won't bode well for him. So... He wishes to do them a favor. Are you willing to, Paul, go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done anything wrong to the Jews, and you know yourself very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything that's deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has a right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, the Caesar that he's appealing to is Nero. Think about that. Now, this is taking place in about 59 AD. In 59 AD, Nero still has some pretty good advisors surrounding him, and he hasn't snapped yet, okay? Uh, And so it's going to be a couple years down the road before that happens. So as he appeals to Caesar, one of the things that's interesting here, if the Jews had not brought charges against him that related to Caesar, he would not have been able to appeal to Caesar. But because they brought charges that he had done things against Caesar— he was able to appeal to Caesar. Now, why is that significant? Because Caesar is in Rome. And where has Paul, where has Paul been promised he will go to declare the gospel? Rome. And so as he appeals, he's going to be able to get to Rome. But he's also going to be able to make his defense in front of the highest court and the highest man in the world at that time, Caesar. He's going to be able to talk to Caesar. And remember that in, in chapter 9, 
when Paul uh, is, is first uh, confronted by Jesus, the first time that we have that in Scripture, that the Lord comes to Ananias in that passage and says, tell Paul that he's going to go and be my defense in front of kings. So this is a fulfillment of that prophecy as he's moving into this. So Paul appeals to Caesar, and, and Festus says, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And so you can think, well, Festus is settled with this. But as we read on, we find out that this is, this is creating something, a problem for Festus. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them it's not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they've had faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. Verse 17, when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion. And the word there is almost superstition, because um, Festus is not understanding this. Some dispute about their own religion and about a, a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss at how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar." So here's Festus talking to King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa is, um, is the king of this province, this area of Israel, and he is actually the great-grandson of Herod the Great. All right, so we're going to start looking at Herod the Great pretty soon because Herod the Great was the king when um, Jesus was born. So at Christmas, we think about Herod the Great. That was Agrippa's great-grandfather. Now, his father was Herod Agrippa. And so his father, Herod Agrippa, you may remember, we looked at in Acts chapter 12, and I think, Tim, wasn't that you who preached that passage? Yep. Um, on Herod's death, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne, delivered a public address to the people, and they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. All right, so that just happened. Um, to the right of that, in the bottom picture, that white band, just to the right of that is where that, that stand is that he would have been sitting on. And, uh, and that's where his, where, so Agrippa comes to Caesarea knowing that's where his dad died, where his dad was put to death by, by God, actually. And so Agrippa comes to this town and, and he comes to, to greet Festus. Festus is the new governor, so the king comes to meet the new governor, and he comes with Bernice. Bernice is his sister, a year younger, and they're both Jewish people, and they're very, very astute in, in Jewish teaching and understanding the customs and the laws. Okay, so Agrippa and his sister but Bernice are both um, really, really good rulers as it relates to that time and, and all the things that, the limitations that they had. 
Agrippa actually reigned until 100 AD when he died. So he, he reigned for a long time. And he tried really hard to bring peace when there was the Jewish uprising in 66, when the temple was destroyed. And, and he tried to bring peace to that, but wasn't able to. So he comes, and, and Festus is there, and he's like, I have no clue what's going on here. I have no idea. There's this man, and he, they're bringing all these accusations. People are saying he needs to die. And as far as I can tell, the only thing he's doing is telling people that there was a man who was dead who rose from the dead. And I don't know what to do with that. And he's appealed to Caesar. And I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And Agrippa said, yeah, I think it's funny too, Lois. All right. <laughs> Everybody wanted to laugh. All right, and so, you know, Agrippa says, I want to hear this guy. And Festus says, tomorrow you will. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice come with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. And so this area here, right behind me in the picture, is the place where that audience hall, they believe, was was where that was, and you can imagine there's still some mosaic tiles left on the floor from, from that period of time, and, and it's this amazing place that looks out over the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and you can imagine that, that Herod had this place all decked out, and you can imagine the throne room, because he thought he was a god, the throne would have been huge and, and massive and up high, and, and, and so... They come in with all the pomp and circumstance. You can imagine, right? The, you know, you saw the royal wedding. It's something like that. And so they enter this room, and at the command of Festus, Paul is brought in. So here comes Paul out of the prison, and he comes walking into this audience room, right? And, and he comes in, he's got chains on. And he comes and he stands before Agrippa, and Festus has him brought in, and here he is. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not live any longer. So imagine your Paul down there. And Agrippa's or and Festus is talking to you, saying, Here's the man. Everybody thinks he should be dead. I found he has done nothing deserving death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I might have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. See, Festus is a sharp guy. He thinks it's right? All right, so then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Imagine. Imagine you've been in prison for two years. You've been in prison for two years, you've been wrongly accused, and you've been held. Yes, friends have been able to come in and those kinds of things, but you've been there. And, and you're standing, and you're going to defend yourself. 
I don't know about you, but everything inside of me is going to do one of many things. I'm either going to be so scared I'm not going to be able to say anything, right? Because that's the room you're in. You know, it's this huge room. Imagine if you were brought into that. And you're speaking to one of the most powerful men in that region, right? And, and you have an opportunity to talk to him. You're free to go. Go ahead, talk. What would be the first thing you'd say? Well, Paul, man, he's been trained so well. He's so educated, and he knows King Agrippa. And he knows that King Agrippa is the one who he was prophesied he would be talking to. And so I can imagine he goes, okay, Holy Spirit, let's do this. Because as Tim said last week, Jesus promised that when we stand before men, we'll be given the words that we need to speak by the Holy Spirit. Let's go, Holy Spirit. So Paul motioned with his hand and started his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to be before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. See, the thing is, King Agrippa's hearing that and thinking, you're right, you sure are fortunate. And Paul's thinking, man, I am so fortunate. I get to stand before this guy and tell him about Jesus. See, they're looking at this in a different perspective, aren't they? Agrippa has no idea what's coming his way. The Holy Spirit is moving. And the Holy Spirit is going to speak through Paul. And, and King Agrippa is going to get a chance to hear the truth about who Jesus is. And, and Paul is saying, I'm so fortunate that I get to be the one to do this. Especially so. Especially so because you are so well, uh, uh, well acquainted with all the customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. What Luke has here for us, it's a pretty big passage, but it's the Reader's Digest version. Okay, Paul actually said a lot more than is written here. And, and so as he, as he says to King Agrippa, listen patiently. Because I'm about to blow your mind. You know, I'm about to tell you the truth about what's happening in, in our world right now. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. I've, I've, uh, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I have conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I stand on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes, our hoping to see fulfilled as they earn earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Oh man, there's so much in here. <sighs> so he stands and he talks to King Agrippa and he says, listen, I'm one of you. You and I, King Agrippa, we're the same. We're Jews. We're the chosen ones. We're the ones who've been given the promises, the covenants. All of those have been made to us as Jewish people. And, and the 12 tribes, all of the nation of Israel, has been waiting for the fulfillment of the covenant promises 
the ones given to Abraham, to Moses, the ones given to David, the ones given to Adam even. All of these promises we've been waiting to have fulfilled, and they're being fulfilled in Jesus. It's that hope, the very hope that was taught in all of the prophets, the ones that we know, those are being fulfilled, and that's why I'm on trial, because God is fulfilling his promises. I too was convinced, and here he goes. He's going to step into, into this defense, and he's going to say, I understand why people have a hard time believing this. I too was convinced that I ought to do as all possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that's what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue to another to have them punished, try to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down. I can imagine his, his voice broke as he said that. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief high priests about noon, King Agrippa. I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Have any of you ever kicked against the goads? Let me explain what it is and then I'll ask the question again. To kick against the goads was an idiom of the day. And you can imagine a long stick with a very sharp point. You know, kind of like one of those marshmallow sticks, only longer. Okay? And so you can imagine that in, in the time that this was written, it was especially used for oxen. And so it was a stick that was used as an oxen was working in the field and it would be placed along the side of the oxen so that the oxen would move the other way, okay? And it was just a gentle little nudging, okay? And you can imagine a little sharp stick, it's just in your hand and it's going to cause you to move. Okay, but if that oxen should decide it's not going to go the way it's being prodded and it kicks back against that, it's going to force that stick to go right into the side. And that's going to hurt. It's kind of like when we were kids, and, and I, I, I've heard of kids who do this, where to their sisters, they would go, hey, Candy, look, right? And, and, you know, and you get her to poke in there, right? See, it's kind of like that, only with a really sharp stick. And so there's this gentle nudging but if you push back against it, it hurts and it's hard. It's hard to kick against the goads. What does that mean for Paul? See, Paul had rounded up all these followers of the way. All these followers of Jesus, he had rounded them all up and brought them all in. And they said, what's going on? He said, I'm bringing you in. Why? because you're following the way. Do you know what that means? No, let me tell you. How many times had he heard testimony of what it meant to follow Jesus? How many times has he heard testimony that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's come into the world? We know that he stood and gave approval and, and watched the coats as Stephen was stoned and said, I see the Lord. 
at the right hand of God the Father. How many times had God gently been nudging Paul and Paul kept pushing back against it? Until that encounter on the road of Damascus, it's hard to push against the goads. So now let me ask you again. Have you ever pushed against the goads? Ever felt a little nudge from the Lord need you to go this way? And you're like, yeah, no, I think I'll go over here. Anybody, any, you don't know, don't raise your hands. Okay. Because we've all done it, amen? See, we push against the goads, and we think it's not hard. It is. It is. To not follow the direction God is leading you is hard. So Saul says, I asked, who are you, Lord? And I believe, <laughs> I don't know, but I think because he knew, because of the goad and everything else, he cries out, who are you, Lord? I'm thinking, he's thinking in the back of his mind, this is Jesus. And sure enough, it is who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And so he goes on to tell uh, Agrippa, oh my, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, First to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent, turn to God, demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. The gospel has just been presented in that whole room. Everybody has heard the gospel that Jesus came to save. And Festus responds, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. You're a whack job. What is your problem? You're just crazy man here. You're nuts. So now what would you do if you're Paul? Right, what would you do now? Oy, man, maybe I am. This probably isn't the right place for me to be talking about this. I should probably keep quiet. What, what would be going through your mind? Well, what goes through Paul's mind? Yeah, no, uh-uh, no. I'm not insane. Almost excellent, Festus. <laughs> I might be reading sarcasm into that, but I mean, really, come on, right? You're the one who's insane. I can almost hear him thinking this, but... I am not insane. What I am saying is true and reasonable. Oh, and then what happens? Then he, he turns it around. So you can imagine, I, here, here's, here's Festus, right? And here's Agrippa, Bernice next to him. And, and they're there, and the, and the room is all surrounded. And, and he says, no, 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 I'm not insane. The king is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped your notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? 
I know that you do. Oh, oh my goodness. What has just happened? Paul, brilliant Paul, overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, given the words he needs to speak, has just come into Agrippa's life with something that puts him on the hot seat. Do you believe the prophets, Agrippa? I know that you do. And here's Agrippa. He's got two choices, yes or no. And if he says, yes, I do believe the prophets, then Festus is going to think he's insane. Because he's one of those. And, and if he says yes, that means he has to do something with Jesus. Because if you believe the prophets, then you know that Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophets. And so if you say yes, you've got to do something with Jesus. And if you say no, the Jewish leaders are, what? Our king doesn't believe in the prophets? So you're on the hot seat. So what does he do? Deflects. Politics are not all that new. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I'm, I'm not going to deal with Jesus. I'm going to la, 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 la. I'm not going to deal with this. In 1871, a man named Brundage preached a message on this passage almost 150 years ago. Do you realize how incredible the Word of God is? I mean, each one of us has a chance to respond and, and react with this text today. And this isn't the first time a group of people have gathered together to respond and react to this text. Almost 150 years ago, a man named Brundage he was preaching this passage, and as he ended, he said this. He who is almost persuaded is almost saved. But to be almost saved is to be entirely lost. And I wonder, in this room today, how many of you are almost persuaded? How many of you are almost saved and entirely lost. Philip Bliss, overwhelmed by that question, went and wrote a song. And I have my hymnal from 1928. Almost persuaded. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Just now some soul is ready to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Ooh, see that's what Agrippa did. Almost persuaded. He said, yeah, not today. Oh, if that's you, don't be almost persuaded. Turn to Jesus. One more thing I'd like us to look at. And here's the key verse, I think. Paul replied to him, short time or long, I pray to God, not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Short time or long, there's so many things in this verse. I could do a whole message on this verse, but we don't have time for that. It's okay, because you can do this on your own. But let me ask you this. I know what I am. 
I'm a new creation. See, if you ask Paul, Paul, what are you? He wouldn't talk about the things he'd done. He wouldn't talk about what he believed. He wouldn't he'd say, I am a new creation. I have been crucified with Christ, and, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I am, I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. I am free. I have been set free. I am forgiven. I am victorious in Jesus. I am a child of the Most High God. I am amazed at who I am. Oh, I know who I was, and every once in a while, who I was still comes out, but it's not who I am. What I am is a child of God. And my prayer, and I hope it's the prayer of every one of you in this room who's a child of God, my prayer is that everyone might become what I am. Anyone who hears my voice, that anyone who listens to what I say might become what I am, what I've been designed to be, what you've been designed to be. You've been designed to be in an intimate relationship with God, and that only happens as you receive Christ, not almost persuaded, but totally persuaded. Give your life to him, and then you become a new creation, and it's what you are. And my prayer is that everyone who hears my voice will become what I am, except for these chains. What are the chains? What, what are the chains? As I've thought about that and pondered that and, and poured over this verse and said, God, what, what are the chains? A few years ago, I went through a severe depression. Severe depression. And I was walking with the Lord and I was crying out in the language of lament, God, I, I don't want this. Take it away. And, and yet it drew me closer to him. And in the midst of it, I was able to proclaim him. And, and as, he, as he touched my life and brought a healing that I didn't deserve, but by his grace he brought into me, even during that time I could say, God, I pray that everyone could be what I am, but don't make them walk through this depression, not those chains. Let them, let them, let them be what I am except for that. And when Karen and I went through our time, three years where, where Satan was attacking our marriage and we couldn't even look at each other, we didn't touch each other, it was awful, an awful time in my life. But in the midst of it all, it drew me so much closer to the Lord and, and through it was able to proclaim his goodness and proclaim his love and, and God by his grace stepped in and, 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 and healed it for his glory. And during that time, able to say, God, I wish that everyone could be what I am, but don't make them walk through this, not these chains. And then stupid cancer, Right? John, see, I, I pray that you can be what I am, but not these chains, not these things. But I will tell you this, that every one of those things, those chains, Paul viewed his chains as an opportunity to make the gospel known. 
Now I want you to know my brothers, he says in Philippians, that what has happened to me has really turned out for the good. As a result, the entire palace guard has heard about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you believe how incredible it is? If it hadn't been for these chains, they never would have known. See, what are your chains? Oh man, I know. As I look, I see, and I know some of the chains that you've got. I know what those are, and I'm not talking about the chains that Jesus came to set you free from. Okay, if you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness and gossip and all that stuff, that's sin. That's not what I'm talking about. You're free from those chains. Break those. Get those out of there. But there's stuff that you have no control over. Don't let that keep you from declaring the truth that Jesus is enough. And he's sufficient. Oh God. Help us love you more. You know our hearts, God. You know the places of pain. You know the places of rejoicing. You know the places where you're trying to poke us with that goad. And you know how we're kicking back. Lord, if we're kicking against the goad, push harder. Shape us, mold us, form us, take us where we need to be. If anyone in this room is almost persuaded, Holy Spirit, push them over the edge. Let them fall into the arms of Jesus. And God, let us not cry out against our chains, but let us use our chains as an opportunity to declare your goodness. Jesus, help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.